Is there any country out there outside the one you live in you just kind of have a soft spot for? Love Italy. I love Italy. Yeah. I want to go to Ireland, but I haven't been there. Been to Italy. I love it. Food. Sites, history, I love it all. It's the heavyweight champ uh, of destinations. Not I a would hockey say. country. Not a hockey country. You know what it is? <laughs> country we're going to talk a little bit about here off the hop. Finland. We gave the Finns some love last time on the pod. My interview with Alexander Barkov, and you start looking at, my God, a lot of great Finns have come into the league here in the past little while. Who do you think, which Finnish player has the most points? In the past two years. So two full years plus this year. There's a lot of names uh, out there. I know. Some of them are coming on coming on strong. Who do you think it is? Wow. I'm, I'm going to go with Miko Rantanen. Miko Rantanen is number two. Michael Granlund, number one, 148 oh, uh, wow. points. Good for Michael Granlund. Wow. Good to see the Finns thriving because... Uh, it's a great place, that feeling. Kind of a spiritual cousin of Canada. I've been there once. Uh, it reminds me a lot of, like, northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. And just great people. They're the, uh, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the expression that a Swedish guy once dropped on me to describe Finns. It's like, Finns, yeah, man, they fight with knives. <laughs> they got a little spirit, the Finns, man, you know, in that in placid Scandinavia. Yep. They got a little spirit, and uh, that is one of the many uh, things that uh, I love about the great Finns of the world. But, man, yes, what a time. Mikko Rantanen might not be the leader in the past two and a half years, but he is the NHL's leading scorer here today on a day that mm-hmm. Barkov and Line are over in Finland mm-hmm. playing the first of two games in Helsinki. And I think we're going to start this edition of the Tape to Tape podcast just Playing it straight here. You know who the three stars of the month of October were? I know Miko Rantanen was number one. Miko Rantanen was number one. Evgeny Malkin, number two. Patrick Kane, number three. So let's work our way through them all. Let's I do mean, it. with Rantanen, there's any number of places we can go. We can talk about the line. Mm-hmm. I, I still just think, and I put myself firmly in the middle of this group. You know, we really wondered if Colorado knew what the hell it was doing. And then this time last year, the Matt Duchesne trade happened. Yep. Rantanen, who granted had already had one solid year under his belt. Yeah. He starts going to another level with McKinnon. And now here we are, I would say 12 months after that trade, which was a, a bit of a marker there. Mm-hmm. Man, do things look way better in Colorado than we ever dreamed of. Yeah. And the knock on Colorado at the time, there were a ton of them, obviously, but the big one was was their defense what's the future of the defense they got eric johnson they got tyson berry what else do they have beyond that they don't really have nikita zadorov what do you think about nikita zadorov he could bolt to russia there were some contract problems with him leading into last season and then what else do you got and now all of a sudden you've got sam gerard he's playing on that top line uh top pair i mean with eric johnson he was part of that matt duchene trade you've got connor timmons i mean you you would now have a pretty good defense in the NHL now. You've got a couple of guys who are working their way up in, in the future. You don't have to make any trades now. And and now you have a really well-rounded team. You have one of the best lines in hockey with Ranton. And, of course, um, you're hoping that there's going to be some secondary scoring. You've got a pretty good top four. You have two goalies. Semyon Varlamov is going to be a UFA at the end of the season. But, hey, you got Philip Grubauer. You signed him, and you're going to have him going forward. you got a pretty good thing going in Colorado, and you're going to add a probably a high first round pick from the Ottawa Senators to this whole mix. It's looking really, really good right now. I remember in Rantanen's draft year, 2015, 
looking at his stats and 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 saying, man, this is a guy because he wasn't projected to go, you know, in the first five picks or anything like that. This is a guy who's putting up numbers in the Finnish league already with the pros. He's got good size. I look for that kind of thing. I remember Sasha Barkov kind of the same way, although Rantanen wasn't putting up numbers at that level. And I'm thinking, I would love the Florida Panthers to select this guy at number 11. And it gets to number 10, and it's almost there. And it goes to my best friend's favorite team, the Colorado. Like, oh, come on, man. I immediately texted Josh and you said, screwed you, you, got me, something. you screwed me again, Josh. <laughs> I didn't think, though, that Rantanen was going to come on this quickly, this furiously, really. I mean, 84 points. How many people realize he got 84 Point, points in 81 game. games last year? I mean, that's wild. 20 goals as a rookie in 16-17 when he was 20, and Colorado wasn't any good then. Yeah, yeah. And now, I mean, now he's clearly, I mean... Nathan McKinnon is the star and the Hart Trophy guy from that line, but Rantanen, I think, could probably carry a line on his own from the wing if they ever wanted to spread that thing out. I mean, he just, he can skate so well, and he's got such good size, and, and the way he's producing, the guy looks like a, a top liner on his own, I think. Gotta give Gabriel Landeskog his due as well on that yeah. amazing line. Can we get a investigative team together to figure out why the hell you're two, three and four for Nathan McKinnon were so pedestrian. Cause when you watch <laughs> him now, you're like, I don't get it. Jeff Merrick was saying on the 31 thoughts pod last week, like you love watching the guys when they get to a point where it just looks easy for them. And I yeah. was watching the, the game where uh, Ottawa was back or um, Matt Duchesne was yeah. back in Colorado and uh, Ottawa was up after 40, and then it was just like, well, let's just flip the switch, and yeah. Nathan McKinnon went around Chris Weidman so easily, it totally just put you in mind of a of a beer league where some guys are just four categories apart, and that's what it looked like. Yeah, I, I've seen a number of his goals this year, and he just, like, like he's built like a tank, Nathan McKinnon, he right? He really is. And he just moves like he's a Corvette or something. Yeah. Like He's not slow plodding moving around that ice, and, the, and his shot, too, is... Joe Sackick ish like it's really quick off of his stick and he's he's never looking down at it like he's he's I don't, it's amazing to be being a beer leaguer. Like just, he's looking at the net and he's looking at the net. He's looking at the net. And then sometimes he'll find the, the pass first, but oftentimes he'll just kind of flick his wrists and boom, just like that. The pucks in the top corner. And like, how do you even, how do you even stop something like that? And it wasn't always like that from Nathan McKinnon. Like there was a time when it was like, Oh man, this guy might not pan out. You know, what are we going to do? Is he, is he a second liner? What, what kind of production can we expect from this guy? And then all of a sudden it just, turns on for him and, and now it's looking like if there was a league above the nhl like nathan yeah. mckinnon would be a very productive player in that kind of league absolutely it's, so, it's crazy by the way if you look at the colorado avalanche top scores you got ranton at 21 points nathan mckinnon at 18 points gabriel landeskog at, six, at 16 points tyson berry at nine points is the <laughs> next most productive player i mean this is just a on display how important it is in these days to have a, a really a top line like it, there's no problem loading up your top line anymore be interesting to see what would happen if Sidney Crosby was ever surrounded by two stud wingers. Sid was on After Hours with Scott Oak, who we're going to bring onto the pod in the second half to share some stories about that segment and getting to know players over time. But the second star of the NHL in October wasn't the Pittsburgh Penguins' Sidney Crosby. It was the Pittsburgh Penguins' Evgeny Malkin, forever known as the 101st best player yeah. in the NHL. Highest points per game, highest points per 60. Is it possible that, uh, let's do the math here, about a dozen years into this guy's career mm -hmm. with three cups and a Conn Smythe trophy, if I'm not mistaken, we're mm -hmm. still just not talking enough about how good he is? 
Exactly. How are we not talking about Malcolm? We've been having this ridiculous best player in the world discussion for like two weeks. McDavid, uh, Crosby, does Austin Matthews fit in this discussion? How about Evgeny Malkin, people? Like, if he was on his own, not with Sidney Crosby, on some team where he was the number one center and, and the undisputed star, I think then we might be talking about him a little bit more. I mean, he's... the 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 issue with him i guess is that he gets injured so much that you can count or he rests you can count on to miss a bunch of games every year but in the games that he does play he's going to put up massive points and he's not always at his best like you can see when evgeny malkin is engaged he's physically just dominating everybody you can't take the puck he's the off one who him. looks like mario right exactly he, he's the guy in the mario mold exactly and then there are games where he doesn't show up in that regard he still might get on the score sheet but you can see there's a different evgeny malkin so that is the knock on the guy but it it almost doesn't matter like he he is clearly one of the best players in the game the fact that he's second in nhl scoring on this uh thursday november 1st is is crazy and how little discussion he's he's getting 1.9 points per game like you said the highest in the league 0.15 more than miko rantanen who's number two it's just incredible to me how how under the radar this guy still is i mean the fact that he didn't make that top 100 list is just outrageous we're going to be having a list go up on the website sportsin.ca next week ahead of hall of fame weekend guys who if they retired today would be in the hall of fame i mean evgeny malkin to me is oh, easily yeah. easily in that and so that's why he would be into the top 100 pretty pretty easily for me you know the the chicago blackhawks in a sense kind of get lost in the shuffle here because they lost in the first round, were swept aside the year Nashville went to the final. They did not make the playoffs last year. We're now talking about them as a, you know, maybe a team in transition or, or very curious what's going on with them, maybe overlooking what is still there a bit. And uh, one of the people still there, Patrick Kane, my goodness, is that, I mean, he's still probably the most deadly coming yep. down the wing, For looking sure. to make a play. Kane actually leads the NHL in even strength goals this year. He is the first player, sorry, the first Blackhawks since Bobby Hull in the late 60s to put up 11 goals through the team's first 11 games. Don't forget, I mean, this guy is just a couple years removed from doing the old sweep, the the Hart, the Pearson, the the scoring leader. I mean, he is as much as anyone uh, of his generation, just a pure offensive force. Yeah. When he's got the puck, look at it, Like he could just create something Absolutely. out of nothing, right? You got to be on your toes as, as an opposing fan. I think you've uh, got to be a little bit worried. This was an interesting player to watch for me on the top 100 rankings that we did for sportsman.ca this past summer. And you were ranking guys based on how you thought they were going to do this year. And it was it was surprising to me how low Kane ended up going. He didn't drop too, too far. I had him number six on my list, but he ended up somewhere in the teens, if I remember correctly. And I didn't understand that because over the past six years, only Sidney Crosby has more points than Patrick Kane. Like, he's going to give you those years. He got 76 points last year. And talking about stars putting up great numbers that nobody really talks about, I think because the Blackhawks were last in their division last year, nobody was really talking about Kane. He was completely off the radar. But 89 points the year before that, 106 points the year before that. Like, he is consistently putting up point-per-game, near-point-per-game numbers, 18 points in 12 games to start this season. 
I mean, he's pretty clearly to me in this discussion of top five, easily top 10 players in the NHL because you know what he's going to give you every year. So that was, I don't know where you had him in your top 100 if you, if you recall that or not, but, but to me, it was, that was really shocking to see him slip all the way to the teens. There was no reason for it. Yeah. Uh, I've always harbored a, uh, a deep, 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 deep wish to do a fake trade to get him on Buffalo as like the Blackhawks come down and the Sabres go up the hometown boy. Probably not quite time to bust that one out yet, but we are going to bust out fake trades later in this program. And I will say Patrick Kane turns 30 in November. That's a pretty good wow. Now I feel old moment because man, he, <laughs> yeah. not only does is he of a different generation, but he always, you know, he looks young. He was a he was the guy who you're like they're gonna draft the 150 pounder mm-hmm. first overall. Well, the game's changed. That worked out pretty well. The game has changed, and when you're talking about all things that have to do with the game, there's a good chance if you're a player, you're doing it on After Hours with Scott Oak, the legend, Mister Oak. He has spoken to so many players over the course of his career covering all kinds of sports, not just hockey. It's going to be a pleasure to bring Scott Oak onto the program. That is Scott Oak coming up on the other side of the break on Tape to Tape. When we designed the GMC Sierra, we took inspiration from the Northern Lights. Was it because of the otherworldly sense of awe they impart upon us? Their breathtaking majesty as shining beacons of the tundra. Their energetic dance across the moonlit sky. No. It's because the Northern Lights are bright, and the LED headlights on the GMC Sierra are bright too. Drive Canada like a pro. GMC, we are professional grade. Visit gmccanada.ca for more. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Joining us on the line now, if you've been watching Hockey Night in Canada for any stretch of time, you're very familiar with this man. It is Sportsnet's Scott Oak. Scott, how are you? I'm good, and you guys? We are well. I have to say, I uh, tuned in to After Hours on Saturday. You know, Sidney Crosby, the legendary Bob Cole. But what mm-hmm. factoid jumped out at me that I didn't know? Scott Oak, Mr. Manitoba, is an East Coaster? I did not know that. You have to give <laughs> us the backstory here and tell us how you landed in Manitoba and life on the East Coast before that. Well, it's going to eat up the whole 10 minutes we have. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'll keep it brief. Uh, my family, including me, we were all born in Sydney, Nova Scotia, Cape Breton Island. Uh, my father took a job in Newfoundland when I was 14, so we moved there. So I spent my teenage years, my serious growing up years, you might say, in Newfoundland. I got my first job at CBMT uh, in Newfoundland as a sports announcer, and that's how I met Bob. Um in 1975, after a brief stopover in Toronto, very brief, mercifully brief for Toronto and for me, um, I moved to Winnipeg to replace Don Whitman on the local sports at uh, CBWT, CBC Manitoba. So I've been in Manitoba since 1975. Uh, my wife is from here. Our children were born here. So this is probably where I'm going to be buried. And, you know, uh, some days it feels like sooner than later. <laughs> All right, well, confirm or deny this as well. Were you a pre-med student at some point? That glorious career you just laid out, was that at one point not the plan? Uh, That is true. Um, But pre-med was just a collection of science courses. And there's no grade 12, uh, or there wasn't when I went to school in Newfoundland. So at the age of 16, I went to university. I was a registered pre-med student, but uh, pretty quickly the university radio station uh, became the object of my attention. I spent a lot of time there, and um, at, 
I think approaching the end of one semester, one of my friends suggested to me, you should apply for that job at uh, at uh, CBC Newfoundland as a summer early sportscaster. And I did, and I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks. So I phoned over, and the guy who answered the phone said, well, as a matter of fact, you're the only person to apply, so why don't you start on Monday? Uh, thereby proving the only way for me to get a job was if no one else applied. I did that <laughs> relief summer relief job for a couple of years, and at the end of the second summer, uh, one of the full-time guys quit to go to law school, and I applied for the full-time job, and don't ask me how I got it, but I did, and uh, that was the start of my career. And now, After Hours is must-watch TV, a staple of Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday night. How did that segment come to be? After Hours uh, was a creation of, uh, if I have this right, it it was a program that aired at the end of the Hockey Night in Canada doubleheader broadcast in B.C., Many, many years ago, and, and that was to give, because it was, you know, uh, closer to primetime hours out there as the games ended at, uh, it could end at, you know, 20 to 10 or whatever, to take the audience to the top of the clock with some more hockey talk. And uh, it worked well enough that it became a network thing. And uh, I think uh, the first guy to do it was Scott Russell with Kelly Rudy, and then Scott left to go into the amateur sports era area and i i ended up replacing him and the show's been going now there was a two-year hiatus when rogers initially got the rights but uh they brought it back last year full time so all told i think it's been going now probably close to 20 years and uh it's uh it's been a worthy endeavor because we have an opportunity on that program to uh to get to know the players for more than get pucks deep uh pucks on net with traffic mixed in uh, make them turn and go and get it. All the cliches we get past those pretty quickly, and uh, and get to know uh, the player as a person. As, you know, I think any the, the benchmark of any good TV show is is a story. People love stories more than they 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 like stats and you know uh, slow motion replays explained to them. Store uh, in this format at least, and so uh, we we try to thrive on that. And I think most weeks, uh, you know, when the show is done, uh, I, I'm most often left with a feeling that. Well, that's pretty neat. I didn't know that about that guy or whatever. And I and I, I, I think the audience feels the same. Kind of along those lines. So you've had a lot of big stars on that show, obviously, uh, over the years. Um, I mean, Crosby and, and Bob Cole are going to be memorable for their own reasons there. But is there an After Hours interview, a subject that sticks out for you in, in, in the way that maybe the interview or the subject went in a direction you, you didn't expect it to? Um, I wouldn't say uh, the the one that I'll bring up went in a direction I didn't expect it to, but I never expected it to be as profound as it was. And that's an interview the first time that we had Brian McGratton on uh, probably four years back when he was with the Calgary Flames. Brian, as you probably know, and he's very proud of us, and he should be, he's in recovery. He's got about nine years of sobriety now, so it was around five then, I guess, when we had him on the air. And uh, the stories he told of how he uh, he gained his sobriety were compelling. They were touching. And the reason I say that's the one I remember the most is that's the one that, for me, got the most reaction. I got calls from people the next day saying, i got to talk to Brian McGratton immediately. I got calls from people saying, I've decided to quit drinking. He's changed my life. He was just so genuine and uh, and such a strong message that that certainly is one that, when I'm asked that question that you just asked me, that's the one that I... I, I always go to first. When you had Bob Cole on there, you guys, you were kind of almost teasing him about how he doesn't want to be 
uh, part of the story. And we know he's, he, you know, he doesn't want to tell people when his last game uh, is going to be. And obviously it's the guiding principle of the journalist to not make yourself part of the story. Let's set that aside for one second here though. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you, I mean, you mentioned having the guys on after hours gives you a chance to go past, get pucks deep just for you personally, how professionally rewarding has it been to be able to interact with guys like, uh, like that in that context. And and I'm even thinking, I mean, it's different, but you know, you've often been on the ice at the end of uh, the season when the Stanley cup is handed out and you see people at their most raw, whether it's good or bad. How has that been for you uh, personally as, as part of your work? Well, I love my job and I love everything about it. I love working on the broadcast of the games, but I really look forward to the format that is after hours because we have, you know, 25 minutes sometimes to sit down of airtime and exclusive of commercials to sit down and, and get a guy's story out and, you know, learn what makes him tick, learn who his heroes are. And it's something similar, I think, at the uh, Stanley Cup celebration because that really is the, the night that the team has won the Cup with their families on the ice is really a slice of Canadiana because still 60% of the players in the NHL are Canadian and every one of them grew up dreaming of winning the Stanley Cup, as did Americans and Europeans for that matter. But it's really uh, um, an intense dream, I guess, in Canada. And uh, to see the players with their families to, you know, no holds barred as far as emotion goes, it, it is special. And um, I, I'm, privileged to have the opportunity to uh, to work in both the uh, both areas uh, after hours and uh, and Stanley Cup celebrations I think uh, the most compelling interview of the last Stanley Cup celebration uh, wasn't a Canadian player in fact it was an American and it was TJ Oshie when he talked about his father who uh, is uh, battling Alzheimer's and uh, what it meant to him and how he was gonna you know share the Stanley Cup celebration with him um, a lot of people remarked on on just how pure that interview was, and you know, every once in a while, you uh, you get a player or players who will express their emotions that way, and it's memorable and special. We'll get you out on this one, Scott. You've covered some non-hockey events over the years as well. What is the best one, whether it was fun to do or memorable, and the worst non-hockey event that you've covered in your career? Uh, the best non-hockey event in my career would have been Karen Lee Gardner's brilliant downhill gold medal run in Albertville in 1992. The course was the Rock de Fer, uh, and it was one that brought uh, the heavily favored Europeans to their knees. Some of them were actually crying um, after the first training run. The course was so challenging, and there was this little waif of a skier from, I'm not fair to call her that, but she was, let's put it this way, uh, smaller in body mass than, than uh, many others. Um, she tore the course up, especially over the last section. And uh, she, uh, Karen took the lead when she came into the finish area. And I remember I had a brutal cold and I yodeled her across the finish line. And when, uh, when I hear that played back now, I, I just cringe. I'd like to, uh, pardon me, I'd like to find a way to, uh, of course you can't because of the internet, but to uh, get a hold of all recordings of that and, and, and get rid of them. Uh, for how I found it, but not for how Karen skied, obviously, because it was, uh, and I, it doesn't get enough credit, nor does she. It was one of the uh, the greatest Canadian Olympic victories of all time. And do you have a worst? Uh, the worst? Let me see. Yo, I don't like to think about that kind of stuff. It's bad karma, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, oh, well, I just 
innumerable times I've screwed up and, uh, you know, got uh, got myself talked into a hole or something. I remember when it was the Canada Summer Games, I think back in the uh, 1977, was it, in St. John's, Newfoundland? And uh, I was assigned to track and field, and I actually thought I could do it. Um, and at that time, Don Whitman was the king of uh, calling track and field and remained so for, what, four more decades after that. But uh, I called the women's 1500 one lap early. I declared the winner, and they kept on running and screwed me up totally. I couldn't understand what had happened. Jesus. <laughs> oh, <laughs> A pro like you knows, though, Scott, just keep going through. Just keep plowing through like no one ever noticed. Exactly. Well, never def- admit you've made a mistake. That's, that's been the key to my career. If I, have, if I, work, I can tell you that. Well, please keep doing what you're doing on After Hours. It's been uh, it's always a, a joy to, to tune in and a delight to have you today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That is Scott Oak of Sportsnet. You see him on the hockey broadcast. You've seen him for years on the hockey broadcast at CBC as well. Uh, he's right that those moments uh, after the cup is handed out. I mean, you know, the old cranky me is like, oh, it's so hokey or, you know, there's mm-hmm. – there's the hokey element to it, but you know what? It always wins me over with just how raw and delighted people are. And he and he mm-hmm. mentioned obviously Oshi last year, but even uh, I mean that was exceptional. But you know, just even last year with Ovi, it being such an outpouring, yeah. you see those those guys just the I can't believe this. I remember in 2010 watching the guy I grew up playing against, Brian Campbell, win for the Blackhawks, and like there's. Brian's family, they're all right. redheaded. They're on the yeah. ice with him. He just won the Stanley Cup. This is crazy. Scott Oak's talking to him. You know, who who are you thinking about today? Who's Who do you want to say hi to back home? You know, uh, it's, it's one of those moments where the over-the-top sentimentality really, really plays well. Yeah, like all these guys were minor hockey players, like yeah. all the minor hockey players out there today. You know, at one point in their careers, some of them came from... Uh, you know, not all of them came from cities. Some of them came from smaller places. It's it's the I think the closest almost that your average kid or a grown up who played minor hockey didn't go anywhere can kind of relate to these guys. Like at one point they were on the same path, right? Very very early they were doing the same things, and these guys made it up to the very very uh, top. And and just not even from looking at the players' emotions, but everybody, every hockey fan connects with that moment in in their way, like. For me, and I think a lot of fans remember, like it was yesterday, the Ray Bork uh, Cup raise when Joe Sackick passed it off to him. I would have been, I guess, 16 or 17 years old at that time. And it was just that guy for years and years not winning with Boston, going to Colorado, not winning the first year, winning in the second, and just the elation and just the monkey off his back. Speaking everything. of Bob Cole calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then and then I remember the Zidane Chara Cup lift, yeah. too. I mean, for, he looked for like, him, he, he looked, looked like he great. could bite it in half. Yeah, yeah. And, and knowing my my dad is a Boston Bruins fan. I didn't follow that path, but um, knowing that they hadn't won since the 70s and him, you know, being <laughs> teased almost with some good teams over those years. I mean, they had that long, long playoff streak, that um, rival. I don't remember what it finished at, 26 maybe, I guess. Close to 30. Yeah, um, and not winning any of those and all those Bork years and everything. So I knew I wasn't at home when they won that, but I knew I had to call dad after that. Cause that was, that was a big moment for him after all those years. And it's not just Bruins fans, all these other teams like Chicago Blackhawks fans, 
not winning a cup for decades and decades. And, and when that eventually happens, if that eventually happens for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I mean, you can only imagine what it would be like in the city or Vancouver getting so close and not winning it. Uh, you know, Calgary hasn't won it since the eighties Edmonton. Like it, it's going to be when these teams end these stretches, like it's, it's going to mean so much to the players and the fans and, and all those connections going back and over the years. They'll be telling the stories to Scott. I'm sure. Yep. Uh, speaking of Boston championships. Hey, how about how did that four, happen? How about four and fourteen years? <laughs> God, this has served as such a great transition to the Sportsnet Now app. Rory and I needed it watching the Red Sox march to the World Series because sometimes you need a second screen. Baseball is on every night. That so this was my revelation from watching the baseball playoffs this season so much more intensely because the Red Sox went all the way through. In hockey, you get a break. Game off. Game off. Four game series lasts a week and baseball a seven game series lasts nine days. Like it just keeps coming. Mm-hmm. Even when it goes 18 innings, you just get back <laughs> up and play the next day. That's why you need the Sportsnet now app to make sure you can jump on SN now fired up on the tablet, on your desktop, on your phone, laid on the coffee table in front of you while something else plays on the background. If that's what you need to keep the peace in the household, or maybe you don't have access to the tube, you can always fire up. S and now Rory rank the where does the 2018 Red Sox championship rank in your pantheon? Assuming Oh four will forever be number one. <sighs> Speaking of dancing on air, you know what? For me personally, I think it's going to be number two because it's my daughter's first year. In the oh, world. First sure. year as a Red Sox fan. She was asleep when they won it, but no. I think for that connection, <laughs> I think that's going to be in a little extra special. Well, for that me. is a fantastic reason, a fantastic reason to come back for the last block of this pod is so you can hear what fake trades we've cooked up fake trades. People we're going to go out on them. We're going out high coming up on the other side of the break on tape to tape. Welcome back to Tape to Tape. Before we dive into the fake trades, I just want to follow up on something we mentioned off the top about the Finnish players we were talking about. I was asking Rory, who do you think is the top scorer the past two plus years? Michael Granlin, as established, Miko Rantanen, number two. Granlin, 148 points. Rantanen, 143. Rounding out your top five, number three, Patrick Laine, number four, Alexander Barkov, and number five, the hard charging. Sebastian Ajo, and if you go points per game, your winner is Sasha Barkov, just ahead of Granlin. Ajo is going to be coming up that list yeah, very, man. very, very quickly. I'm really interested to see what contract he's going to get. He's coming off of his entry-level deal after this season. I mean, Carolina, this is the one guy that when Tom Dundon, the new owner, came in and he was going to make a lot of changes, this is the one guy he said, we're not trading, we're keeping this guy, and now he's the leader of that top line. He looks absolutely fantastic. He sure does. Let's talk about some guys who might look absolutely fantastic in a new uniform. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right. Why don't you throw yours at me? Okay. You're the Calgary Flames. Got to set the scene. (laughs) You have Stanley Cup expectations here. You've built this team. You went out and you signed James Neal. You've got a good defense. You had that big blockbuster trade. You're trying to go for the You're Stanley Cup this year. You're all in. You got Mike Smith on the last year of his contract before he becomes a UFA, 37 years old. 
I don't know if you feel too great about Mike Smith at the moment. He has his good years. He has his bad. Was, he's up he was and down. good last year until he got, he was until really he got good hurt. last year. Yeah. But if you're going for the Stanley cup and you're all in, I think I'm going to try and look around and see if there's a better goalie that I can take advantage of here. And I'm looking at Sergei Bobrovsky. And I'm not, not expecting that Sergei Bobrovsky is going to sign here for the long term. I don't think I'm going to have Mike Smith for the long term anyway. So if I can make an upgrade here, I'm going to do it. I am trading in my fabulous fake trade. Mike Smith, Calgary's first round pick this year. And one of the two top goalie prospects they have in their system, whether it's John Gillies or Tyler Parsons, whichever one Columbus wants to get this deal done to bring Sergei Bobrovsky in here for one playoff run. Maybe you can get him signed. I don't know. I'm so, trying to go for it. So you think Columbus wants two goalies? No, no well, I'm, I'm saying one of those two oh, goalies. Yes. Okay, so give it Whichever to Whichever one they want to make this deal happen, I'm doing it. Along with a first-round first round pick. pick and Mike Smith. Okay, so two goalies are going in the deal. Because Mike if you're Smith, Columbus, yeah. I think you're still also trying to win this year. You're not going to give up on this year. So Smith at least gives you the goalie to try your luck with right this now. year. Let him go, and then you have a goalie for the future. Like Corpusello is supposed to be the goalie of the future. He's not been very good either. Yeah. So, I mean, going forward, I would rather have the two young goalies that I can maybe have a tandem with, see which one, maybe one of them stands one out. One of Corpusello your... and or Gillies or Parsons. <laughs> exactly. And then you also have the first-round pick to feel good about moving on from Bobrovsky. Because I think whoever ends up trading for Bobrovsky, I think this deal is going to happen, likely. Columbus is going to want something futuristic to look forward to. I do you think it's uh, important that you included Smith going the other way because we've talked about how from the Columbus side of things, they might just be a team yep. that has to live with the consequences of losing guys, right? And right. some teams can justify a little half step back, but for Columbus, given the playoff history, given how good the rest of the team can be, it would be tough to sort of seem as though you're taking a complete knee on the season, right? Yeah. And, and for Calgary, like again, Mike Smith, isn't the goalie you're going to, that's going to be in your net for two, three years down the line. Maybe you're expecting it to be Gillies or Parsons. Neither of them are off to great starts this season, but both are highly regarded prospects. Absolutely. So I would just feel better, you know, going completely all in with Bobrovsky. Maybe there is a chance that you can resign him. I don't really think that that's a place he would go necessarily. If he's not willing to stay in Columbus, I uh, kind of think he'll go where someone will cut a big check. That's right. That's a factor. He might want to go to a big city too. Like, uh, you know, one one of the California places. I, I don't know sure. where he would end up. I haven't really looked into it, but uh, if they did offer money, I mean, that, that that's what talks, right? Maybe he would end up staying there. I don't know if they could do that or not. Okay, here's mine. You're the Minnesota Wild. You always make the playoffs. You're in third place right now, and you're actually undefeated at home. So it's time to blow it up, right? <laughs> no, here's the thing. Come on. Minnesota has just been bumping up against the ceiling for so long with... You know, they've even going back to the signing of Suter and Parise, like they've done well to to play a strong hand to to make their move. But it just seems like that team with, you know, some version of the core it's had, even with the amazing signing of Stahl. Do you really feel like they could break through? I just feel like they're kind of getting older and mm -hmm. older and. You know, new GM in there, Paul Fenton replacing Chuck Fletcher after Fletcher was there for many years. I, I think it's time, maybe not to rebuild, but it's time to shake it up. It's time to see if you can inject some youth in there and kind of start fresh. Now, the Philadelphia Flyers, you're never going to believe this, Rory. They're looking for a goalie. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Believe it. Um, 
they have the worst, very worst save percentage (laughs) in the NHL. So that sent me down a path. And what I came up with was to Philadelphia, Devin Dubnik and right shot D-man Jared Spurgeon, because after their top pair, Philly can use some D. Let's just say general back-end help. Mm -hmm. Dubnik and Spurgeon to the city of brotherly love. In return, the centerpiece, the man with the long injury history, even though he's a young man, Nolan Patrick, the surprise second overall pick that fell into Philly's lap with some lottery luck. Goaltender Brian Elliott and D-man Andrew McDonald to clear some space and a 2019 second round pick. I really went back and forth on this, but the rationale from the Philly side is is pretty clear. I mean, Dubnik uh, continues to be a very good goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, I want to say, I'll double check, but he has at least one more year after this on his contract. And I think two, I will double check that. And Spurgeon as well, uh, a right shot guy who I think you'd feel pretty good about playing on your second pair. Um, Not great possession numbers just right now, but historically not too bad. Guy who can move and and put up some points and would just make that D look a little more mobile. So I would think that would be something that may hold appeal for the Flyers. And then going back the other way, hey, here's the deal. You got to take a shot sometimes. And Nolan Patrick, he has not been able to stay healthy, whether it be in the in his final years of junior or his first year in the NHL. But there's clearly something there. And we saw it at the end of the year in Philadelphia when, um, you know, he was starting to show why he was a guy who once upon a time was thought to be a slam dunk uh, number one pick. So I think if you're mini and you're looking to get younger and you're looking for a guy who if he hits – could really, really, really be something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you 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 have to take a crack. Spurgeon is signed for this season and next. Dubnik is signed for this season and two more. Age thirty two. Spurgeon is twenty eight. So I don't know. I think Philly solves a lot of problems there right off the right off the hop, mm-hmm. or at least it looks way better. And and Minnesota can. Uh, I mean, if they should they start to falter a little bit and find themselves more true playoff bubbly falling skewing the other way then hey fans maybe it's time to shake it up and get a guy who played uh in in manitoba which is practically <laughs> minnesota devin dubnik is fascinating to me because in 13 14 like he had one foot out of the nhl yeah he, he was done he was in edmonton 32 games 894 save percentage they sent him to nashville he played two games there and was just awful and the next season he started in arizona and he was pretty good but it wasn't until they moved him to Minnesota that he took off. Save percentages, 936, 918, 923, 918. I always thought he was like a system goalie. He was benefiting from the defense there in Minnesota. But he just keeps coming back with these excellent seasons. And then this year, Minnesota's defense was terrible out of the gate. They've allowed the fourth most shots against in the NHL this season. It's not Jock Lemaire's team anymore. Long no. gone from those days. Uh, and he's still putting up. He's a 937 save percentage. He's the MVP of that team. He's the reason why they're off to such a good start. I mean, they've got great story in Zach Parise, too. But Dubnik has been the rock behind this um, Minnesota team early on. So 
maybe he goes to Philadelphia and he's just as good there and he continues to prove me wrong. I could see that totally going kiss of, kiss, <laughs> kiss of death for <laughs> yeah. Devin Dovnik. Yeah. Uh, but Patrick is, Patrick is a really interesting one going the other way. Minnesota is the oldest team by average age in the NHL this season. And you just think like something is going to move with this team. They don't feel like they're Stanley Cup contenders. Yeah. New GM and Paul Fenton's going to want to put his stamp on this team in some way. It's probably not going to be today because they're playing well, but it's not going to go this smoothly for the Minnesota Wild. And you do think that there is going to be some major change on the way. If the window was ever open, it does feel closed now. It does. It does. It, the West is so tough, especially that division. I, I just don't see how the Wild stack up. Okay, I got one more oh, for you. Oh, bonus fake trade. A bonus fake trade. I needed to figure out a way to get a left shot D to the Winnipeg Jets because they're weak on that side. There's not a lot of weaknesses on this team, but I think lefty is one right now. The second and third pair left-handed defensemen are Ben Sherratt and Dmitry Kulikov. Sometimes they play Tyler Myers there, but he's a right shot defenseman. So it's not ideal. And he's going to be a UFA at the end of the season uh, anyway. So I'm looking at the struggling Los Angeles Kings and I'm liking Jake Muzzin. I think so. Now, this guy, when he first kind of came onto the scene, he was the analytics darling. Great Corsi numbers, but he was playing with Drew Doughty. Was he benefiting from that? Drew Doughty, obviously, is, is the Norris Trophy guy. Maybe he was kind of riding on his coattails a little bit. This year, he's not playing with Drew Doughty. Jake Muzzin's plus 12 shot differential. He's the only Los Angeles King defenseman with a positive shot differential, plus 12. of his starts come in the defensive zone, which is the second most on the Kings, 31st most in the entire NHL. So he's not being sheltered or anything like that. He's getting these positive shot differentials despite being used really as a uh, defensive defenseman. Plus 12 shot differential at five on five, by the way. Two years left on his contract, including this one. $4 million cap it. Not too hard for them to absorb some point this season, Winnipeg is going to be looking to fill out their lineup a little bit more. I don't think the LA Kings are going to bounce back from this bad start. I don't think they're a very good team. Would you, as a Los Angeles Kings, trade Jake Muzzin to the Winnipeg Jets for Winnipeg's first-round pick? I'm thinking it's the same kind of deal Winnipeg made for Paul Stasny last year. They can put those same kind of ridiculous uh, uh, lottery protections on it with, that are never going to come to sure. fruition. And then L.A. at least gets another first-round pick as they start kind of a rebuild. Well, you have to think. I mean, who knows? Maybe this is a conversation in a month. But the big, big boys, Dowdy, Kopitar, I don't think anyone believes we're anywhere near the world where L.A. would really look at that. So They're going to go in kicking and screaming. Yeah, so so what are you doing then? And if it's getting a first-rounder for someone like Muzzin, I think you have to do it. And, and Winnipeg, even though... Uh, it gave up its first rounder for Stassi. They clearly, they're so, they're so like so many guys are just getting there, yeah. or even like a Niku still really on yeah. the way that it doesn't really kill you. Even though Shevel Dayoff was Mister, you know, long term build. Well, now they're there, so now it's time to even if two years in a row you're giving up your first rounder, yeah. it's probably not the end of the world. Niku still carving up the AHL. Mason Appleton has been fantastic in the AHL. He's a forward, but these are late round picks that have paid off for the Winnipeg Jets. Christian Vesalainen got sent down to the AHL. They picked him in the first round two years ago, but he's got a great, uh, great future, great potential. Jack Rosovich is just getting into this lineup. Like you said, like these guys are just kind of arriving or about to arrive. Yeah. I think, especially going for the Stanley Cup, like this is a team that can afford to give up a first round pick two years in a row. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
What we're hoping you can afford to do, friends, is uh, jump on to sportsnet.ca because we have a fantastic cause for you to donate to. It is Movember month. You must know that just looking around outside and seeing all those beautiful dusters out there. So what you should do is jump on sportsnet.ca, go to the starting lineups page, excuse me, and you can donate to Movember, raise money and awareness for prostate cancer, and you your listener may have a chance well you will have a chance to win i don't know for sure if you'll win but you have a chance to win lease tickets december 6th lease hosting an original six rival the detroit red wings chance to see that game and a chance to donate to a good cause so go check that out while you're there you can always find other editions of the tape to tape podcast why not jump back in the archives and see what we were ranting and raving about in past weeks you can find rory on twitter at rory boylan myself at dixon on sports and check back next time for more glass rattling hockey action on tape to tape